0: Good morning. morning. I'm grateful for Carl's presentation because it reminds us that in many places in the world, being a Christian isn't the easiest thing in the world. In the case of Sudan, survival is not the easiest thing in the world. But there are many places in the world today where Christians experience tremendous persecution. And that's significant and important because this morning we are going to be studying in Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 8. You can turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, where we'll be speaking about the letter of Jesus to the church in Smyrna. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we recognize how blessed we are And though in our nation some of our freedoms are diminishing, we are still so grateful for the freedom that we have to gather here this morning without threat of imprisonment, without threat of persecution. We thank you that we have the freedom to worship, but we also thank you that you've provided freedom for each and every one of us from the powers of this world. If the Son sets us free, we're free indeed, and we're so grateful that you have, through Jesus' death and resurrection, provided a way for us to overcome death and receive eternal life. Lord, we are so tremendously grateful. And so may our study today be both encouraging and reassuring, but may it cultivate in our hearts a spirit of thanksgiving toward you as we continue to praise and worship you with all of our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this letter in the book of Revelation is one of the shorter letters. It deals with some heavy things. In Revelation chapter 2 and in verse 8, we read, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. <clears throat> Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and, will, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you... The crown of life, he who has an ear, let him hear. Well, the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The first thing that comes out there is that there's a second death. We'll all experience the first death, which is leaving this world for the next. But those in Christ never experience the second death, which is separation from, from God's love for all eternity. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the second death. We're going to see in this letter, Jesus is writing to a church that's been persecuted. And so the encouragement is not, you're not going to die. But like Jesus said in John's Gospel in chapter 8, whoever believes in me, you'll never see death. What are we talking about? We're talking about the death that brings separation from God's love for all eternity. I say God's love because it's important to remember, you can't really separate yourself from the presence of God anywhere, at any time, in any dimension, throughout creation. You can't. So when you die apart from Christ or rejecting Christ's word, you abide in the presence of God, but in the presence of his wrath for all eternity. And we'll see that as we get to later chapters believe in chapter 14. But those of us who, by faith, put our trust and hope in Jesus Christ, we will never, ever be hurt by the second death. And that's the gospel message. And that's the vital and most important message this morning, especially to those who perhaps have not made a decision for Jesus Christ as of yet. But let's talk a little bit about the church in Smyrna. It was probably founded by Ephesian missionaries, shortly after 51 AD. It was located in a large commercial port city, about 40 miles to the north of Ephesus. Now, this is interesting. The city had been destroyed, completely destroyed, but was brought back to life after 400 years. So if you lived in Smyrna, the idea of being dead and brought back to life was a common theme. They were known for having been dead and brought back to life. You can understand why then Jesus speaks to them about himself in the way that he does. Jesus is so personal, direct, and applicable when he speaks to these churches. The, the language that he uses, the analogies, the concepts that he uses are so individual. They're so particular. They're tailor-made for the people that are receiving these letters, And so I think you'll see that as we go through our study today. Now, the church is one of only two of the seven churches of Revelation that actually still exist today in Western Turkey. Important to note that. This is the church called Smyrna, but that really means the church of myrrh. And if you've been paying attention at all as a Christian, you know that myrrh is a spice, frankincense, gold frankincense, and myrrh were brought by the magi to Jesus when he was an infant. And so, myrrh, what is myrrh? Now, one of the things I've been finding out over time, as my wife Michelle gets more into essential oils, I I start to understand the power of some of the things that the Bible talks about, like cedar wood. I never knew what that was. I just assumed it was wood, to be honest with you. And I find out later it's an antiseptic or tea tree oil, which isn't necessarily mentioned in the Bible, but things like that that have their their use in our world today. They have tremendous medicinal properties and are incredibly helpful. But you know what myrrh was used for? Myrrh is or was the spice of the dead. It was the spice of the dead and it was crushed. It had to be crushed to give its fragrance and it was used to embalm the bodies now, why would that be significant? Well, when Jesus received gold, it pointed to his position as king. And, and, and he received the incense or the frankincense, it pointed to his position as high priest. But myrrh directs our attention to the fact that he would die, that he was born to die and be brought back to life again. And that points to his role and position as savior of mankind. So myrrh, we're familiar with myrrh now. Myrrh is a spice of the dead. I I find it interesting. The only way that this spice can bring its fragrance is for it to be crushed. And there are certain character attributes and blessings that come out of our lives when we're crushed. Every time I say something like that as a pastor, I look at the door over here and I think, I just want to leave. (laughs) Why is the pastor saying this? Oh, it's me. I'm saying it. Well, God is saying it. I don't like messages like that. Who does? Oh, praise God, we're going to be crushed to bring a sweet fragrance to Jesus. No one gets up and says those things aloud. They probably don't even think that way. None of us want to be crushed. None of us want to suffer. None of us want to be persecuted. But if we're honest, when we're suffering... We have an opportunity, and oftentimes God, through the power of the Spirit, brings us to a place where things come out of our lives to the glory of God that would have never happened if not for the pain. I know you want to say amen, but I'm not going to make you say amen. You see... If we can get into our minds the concept that there is a blessing in suffering. We talked about this last week. Ephesus was experiencing some degree of persecution, but nothing like Smyrna. If we can get it into our minds that God has a purpose in crushing and in suffering that not only brings us closer to God, but that God can use us to bring others closer to him if we understand that at least when we're going through a difficult time. At least we can say to the glory of God. At least. I don't think anyone says, oh, I'm so glad. I hope I continue to be suffering in this way. I love being crushed. But no, when you're crushed, when you're going through a crushing experience, a fragrance of the Spirit comes out of your life. And yes, it's an embalming experience. It's, 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 it's an a experience of death because you're dying to self. But we all know that when we die to self, we live for God. And our lives live for God require us to lose our lives here. But then we find our lives in Christ, which brings life to others. And after all, that's why we're still here. That principle in the word Smyrna or The spice, myrrh, cannot be lost on us this morning. And what does this tell us in verse 8? It tells us this about Jesus. He tells us about himself in verse 8. He's the first and the last who died and came to life again. He knows the crushing experience of death. His body was embalmed with myrrh. He knows firsthand what we're speaking about this morning. But understand, and Jesus had mentioned this in chapter 1, and many of these messages to the churches reflect back on the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 that we've already studied. Here he again shows us that he is the eternal God that suffered, died, and rose again. Just saying that God died hard to understand. And unless God became man, he couldn't have died. But as a man, he died and rose again. And in this, he's saying, I'm the first and the last. When you say you're the first and the last, or the Alpha and the Omega, you're saying, I am the creator, the eternal creator. I was there before it began, and I'll always be there. I am that I am, the first and the last. And Jesus is the creator of all creation, the universe, everything in it, even beyond that. And he also declared himself to be the glorified Christ because he died and rose again. But when he rose from the dead, he was different. Yes, different. He had received, after having had a body of flesh, you know, a a real breathing, living body that, that had been born of a woman, a virgin, He had died a real death. He then rose again, but he rose again glorified in a resurrected body given by his Father. Now that will happen for each and every one of us. I say each and every one of us because even those of us who reject Christ will one day experience what we call the second resurrection. Only to experience the second death. Hell for all eternity. But all of us will receive these bodies, and Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He's the first one to have received that body. And he tells us up front, I died, I rose again. And again, to a, to a city, a church in a city that had died and come to life again, those words were carefully chosen. They made their point. But he commends this church in verse 9. He knew their afflictions, their poverty, but he called them rich. He knew the slander of those who were persecuting them. And there we have learned it was the Jews who persecuted the Christians in the church of Smyrna. But they weren't really Jews, and Jesus says that here. I think it's so important that we recognize that. Sometimes people will be very critical of the Jewish people. And sometimes for good reason. When you look back in history, in the early church, for example, the church in Smyrna, first few centuries of the church, uh, there is good cause to say, even during the time of Jesus' life, that the Jews caused him a great deal of trouble. And many of them were wicked. But you run the risk of being a racist, in the truest sense, when you just say something in a blanket statement about the Jews. Because I want to remind those of you who may be tempted to think anti-Semitically that Jesus is a Jew. That the apostles were all Jews. Our Christian culture comes from the Jewish culture. Our scriptures, the Old Testament, our Jewish scriptures, our New Testament written in Greek, our commentary derived from and, and, and written to expound upon, And reveal the Jewish scriptures. So it's very important that you understand you cannot truly be a person that hates Jewish people and Jewish culture and a Christian. It just doesn't work. However, there are Jews among the Jews who Christ would say are not Jews. That is, they're not really God's people. They may have a Jewish heritage, but they are not true followers of God in any sense. Let's make that distinction especially when we talk about Jewish persecution. It wasn't all Jews. Jews were persecuting other Jews and Gentiles who had become Christians. So understand that, please, lest we appear to be racist about some of the things we think and say. There's a lot of people claiming everything's racist today, but it's truly a racist statement to suggest that all Jewish people are not good people. All right, so let's be clear. I want to make that point. Well, here Jesus is commending his church. They were faithful to God. They were spiritually rich despite their earthly poverty. Spiritually rich despite their earthly poverty. It doesn't say this, but my experience shows me that sometimes when you're materially rich, you're spiritually poor. Sometimes. Sometimes. I think of people in the Bible like Barnabas who were wealthy but spiritually rich. It doesn't mean, again, all rich people aren't bad. There are some wonderfully blessed individuals who have resources and make them available for the kingdom of God. But oftentimes, and I think if you look at the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus made this clear about rich people. Many times it's very difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. So in our nation and in our culture, as opposed to looking at pictures of Sudan where people are poor, materially poor, we have so many things in our culture today that can distract us, amuse us, and bring us to a place where we're not willing or ready to receive the Word of God. They, They keep us from the Word of God. They keep us from a relationship with God. These many blessings that, listen, be grateful for God's many blessings. I am. But don't kid yourself into thinking that you can continue to accumulate possessions, larger homes, more expensive cars, toys, 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 and not be affected by the things that you own. They can be possessions, but they can also possess you. Listen, you don't have to listen to this. Paul once said, this I say, not the Spirit. So I'm going to say, this I say, not the Spirit. Live a simple life. As simple as you can and still have your basic needs met. Please. Because when you do that, when you put those extravagant things aside, you're going to find you have more room in your life for Jesus. We've talked more about this over the last few weeks in previous studies. Live a simple life. Simplify. Because as you do, you'll have more resources to do more good. Uh, You won't be wasting God's resources on selfish pursuits. You'll be able to invest in the things that matter, the things of eternity, and care for one another's needs. But if you go full-on American gospel, and I don't mean a music genre, if you go full-on materialism, you're not going to be fulfilled. I can tell you There are people with far more money than all of us put together who take their own lives. What does that say? To be spiritually rich means that in your earthly poverty or deprivation, if you will, the things that are denied you, the things that you don't have, first of all, it makes you appreciate the things you do have. But more importantly, it brings you to a place where the things that matter are the priorities in your life. The most impactful moment in my personal life, in this regard, was my first missions trip. Oh, I've seen even greater poverty since on the mission field. But there were two trips, really. But the first one was was our trip to Cuba in 2004. When I saw people that quite literally didn't have anything give you what little they had. And they were spiritually rich people. They are spiritually rich people, but materially poor. And then I remember our first trip. I believe it was our first trip. It was either the, no, it was the first trip to El Salvador. And I remember walking through what amounted to a field and seeing people living in shacks, huts really, with dirt floors. And I remember coming back and trying to articulate what I had seen. I was kind of almost traumatized by what I had seen. And it was difficult to put into words how disturbing it was. But conversely, the thing that really disturbed me was going to a restaurant and seeing a family leave more food on the table than some of the people that I had met have ever seen on their table. And you gotta be careful because you start to develop a really nasty attitude if you're not careful. You gotta temper that with wisdom. But, brothers and sisters, if you've never seen poverty, if you've never experienced want, I could only share with you it's not a pleasant experience. However, in the midst of that poverty and that want, you will find spiritual riches. These are individuals who are richer spiritually than we'll ever be because they don't have all of the things that we enjoy. It's just true. That doesn't mean you have to go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. But if you have things in your life that you're trying to figure out, how am I going to continue to afford this car, this home that's bigger than I need? These things I'm involved in, these dues, these fees, these things I'm paying for that I probably don't need in my life. Simplify. Simplify. Again, that's just my personal testimony and an encouragement, I believe, that the Spirit's laying on my heart to share with you today. Back to the Word. Jesus is commending them because they were spiritually rich, even though they were poor. And they were poor because the Jews wouldn't trade with them, they wouldn't purchase from them, they're being boycotted, they're being persecuted. But they were faithful despite the severe persecution by the Jews who were told served Satan and not God. Anytime someone, Jewish or Gentile, persecutes another individual, you know they're not serving God, right? Oh, the church has been guilty of it for thousands of years. We definitely know something about the church persecuting others. I've always been amazed by the fact that before a saint is canonized or someone is recognized within the Catholic Church, we usually learn out, learn about their life, and you find out, well, the church put them to death. They're persecuted by the church and then recognized by the church as a saint. How does that work? Smyrna. Smyrna was one of only two churches that received no correction. Only two of the seven received commendation but no correction. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever noticed that when you're suffering, you're going through a difficult time, your life is in order? Have you ever noticed that there's very little that needs correction? Because you're clinging to Jesus. Come on, be honest. When you're suffering, you're closer to Jesus than you've ever been before. Admit it. The best thing is to be close to Jesus and be blessed. That can be happening too, you know. But given the frail nature, our sin nature that we have, many times it just requires us to go through difficult times. In order for us to be blessed, well, Jesus comforts this church. In verse ten, he says it this way, and this may not sound like a comfort, but it is: "Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. By the way, ten days is an idiom in the scriptures. An idiom. It's it's a phrase that's not to be taken literally." 10 days. It means a short period of time. It doesn't mean 10 actual days, even when you say it. 10 days, a short time. It's used in the scriptures, I believe, in the book of Daniel as well. So understand, a short time. That is, not not indefinitely. You're going to suffer, but it's not going to be forever. It's just a short period of time. And if we're honest about our suffering, most of what we go through can be put in that category. If you're unfortunate enough to have experienced a terminal illness, even then you can say, well, this suffering is for a short time because I know in Christ I will be resurrected. Amen? A short time. Put it in perspective. I often think about eternity as a tree and a leaf as this life. One little leaf, and we focus on that one little leaf so much, and yet the tree, the tree, just an analogy. They should not fear suffering as Christians. That's what, that's what Jesus tells Smyrna, the church in Smyrna. Don't fear it. You know, I get a lot of things wrong. I got a lot of faults and a lot of flaws. And maybe this is a flaw, but I don't fear this kind of stuff. God just kind of made me stupidly brave. I don't know why. It doesn't make me a good person. Sometimes it gets in the way. I guess I got a hard head. I just don't let those kinds of things bother me, as you've probably figured out by now by listening to me preach, I don't really care what anyone thinks. Going through the the time of the pandemic, I was probably annoying a few people by telling everyone right up front, masks don't work and vaccines aren't going to work either. But you know, back then, if you said that, you were some kind of a weirdo conspiracy theorist until the CDC said the same thing. I'm not afraid to tell the truth. I'm not afraid of the consequences of preaching the gospel. I never have been. It's not something that scares me. Now, that's how God built me. Maybe he didn't build you that way. Maybe, maybe you have fear. Maybe you're fearful. Maybe your greatest fear is losing something. Or maybe your greatest fear is suffering or being persecuted or, oh, God forbid, being disliked, deplatformed, canceled, unfriended. You know, there are people that fear a negative comment on their social media. Easiest solution, get off of social media. Never been on, never will. Oh, Pastor, oh, how can you say that? I just did. (laughs) And I remember when everyone got on Facebook, I said, that is is an activity trap. I'm not getting involved in that. Oh, but, you know, I get to see pictures of the grandkids. I, I understand all that. You don't need Facebook to look at pictures of the grandkids, by the way. So all I'm telling you is there are things that can distract us. There are things that you may be afraid of, but don't let those things into your heart. Fear not. How many times does the Bible say, don't be afraid or fear not? Maybe we should listen to the Holy Spirit. So, being brave, well, the Holy Spirit can give you that boldness. He can give you that strength. But don't fear suffering as a Christian. Don't fear it. Don't spend all your time worrying about, well, what if they... Oh, oh my goodness, what happens if we have people that attend our church who were members of the underground church throughout the world? You can't fear those things. you got to trust God. Amen? Now, what were they promised? Well, this is a nice promise. They were promised that they would be tested by the devil. Jeez, thanks. I don't want that promise. I ain't claiming that promise. Standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. No, you're not going to stand on a promise like that. Yet the truth is, and Bill opened the service during the announcements, with Jesus' words telling us in this world we're going to experience and suffer tribulation, persecution, but be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. That promise, and again, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and claim it, but the promise of suffering is a true promise. You are going to suffer in this life because of sin and death, but it doesn't have to mean you experience eternal torment and the second death. So, Understand, that is a promise. What's the promise? You're going to be tested by the devil. Oh, is there anybody here who's been a Christian longer than five minutes who hasn't been tested by the devil? Of course. So now you know why. Because God said it. It's true. Imprisonment, persecution, martyrdom. These are the promises that God makes to his people in this world. They were called to be faithful to Christ by giving their lives for Christ. I think people in America think today, well, that was then, this is now, and this is America, not the rest of the world. And somehow we're never going to have to experience suffering. I read an interesting article from Pastor Brunson who had experienced persecution talking about how the the world has plenty of persecution, but Christians in America are not ready for persecution. And it's true. Well, they were promised something else. They were promised the crown of life. The crown of life. That sounds good. I think we'd all want that, right? Oh, the crown of life. I'll give you the crown of life. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me read from James what that means so you understand. In James chapter 1 verse 12, This is what James tells us about the crown of life. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That God has promised to those who love him. So you love Jesus? Say amen. Amen. Crown of life is yours. But it comes through suffering. But you're blessed. You see, blessed is the man or the woman who perseveres under trial. So in order to experience God's eternal life, you have to go through earthly suffering. No, those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. Those are James' words. That's the word of God teaching us that truth. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, pastor, I came here to be encouraged today. I'm not encouraged. Well, I'm sorry if you're not encouraged, but you should be. Because this suffering in this world doesn't last forever. Amen? And that's the encouraging word. Jesus will reward this church that he's writing to, and all churches, as we've seen, should they overcome. And what's that reward? We've talked about it already. The second death is the penalty for sin. And if you overcome in Jesus Christ, you don't experience the wages of sin, which is death. You experience the gift of God, which is eternal life. Because through Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And Jesus rescues us from judgment. Now you're encouraged. Say amen. Amen. Well, this not only is a letter to an actual church, the church in Smyrna, it speaks of a time in church history, specifically the persecuted church era. And during this time, which followed the apostolic age, second and third centuries, Jesus permitted his church to suffer during this time period as never before. You see, this purified the church. Through separation, driving them underground, and the lethargy, that word is a fancy word, it means you don't get real excited about God anymore, the lethargy that had developed during the apostolic era, remember they had lost their first love, it vanished immediately. Jesus desired true wealth for the lives of his children living in this world, and so he allowed persecution from the Jews. And during this time period, there was a man named Polycarp. He was a pupil of the Apostle John and was a prominent second century church leader. He suffered martyrdom in 155 A.D. at the hands of the apostate Jews. Most believe that the references here point to not only him, but others like him. In fact, when they martyred Polycarp, they actually broke the Sabbath in order to burn him alive on a Saturday. So you can see why Jesus might refer to them as the synagogue of Satan. This was an era of Roman persecution, actually. Now, we're talking about there was Jewish persecution, but there was also Roman persecution in the church era, the second and third centuries. The era of Roman persecution lasted about 200 years. During that time, there were 10 separate edicts of Roman persecution issued from the emperors Nero to Diocletian. And isn't that interesting that there were ten edicts of persecution? Kind of gets us to that ten days a little bit. But again, that's an idiom that just means there's a beginning and an end. It's not going to just go on forever. And that principle is very important, and we've talked about that this morning. It's interesting that the Roman persecution finally came to an end under Constantine in 313 AD. He issued edicts of toleration and, 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 and then ultimately made Christianity the state church. And then, of course, all other types of problems came in, and we'll talk about those next week. The church became worldly. But the persecution ceased, and the church was strong. During this church era, this time in church history, the underground church was stronger and grew even faster than before. And if you're familiar with the underground church in certain areas of the world, in Iran, in China, in other parts of the world, you'll learn this truth. Those churches are strong. That makes no sense to me. But it kind of does, doesn't it? If being deprived of things and bringing suffering into your life brings blessing, then the end result will be being spiritually rich, spiritually strong. And that's exactly what happened in Smyrna, what happened during those centuries, and what happens in the world today. And that brings me to the second to last point. Listen. You don't have to go back to the 2nd and 3rd centuries A.D. to find a suffering church. This letter also speaks of a time that is today, because the church is suffering, there are churches suffering today, severe persecution, I've mentioned some of them already, and they're willing to suffer loss if necessary, clearly, otherwise they wouldn't exist, they're persecuted for their faithfulness to Christ. They have an eternal perspective in the world. And they're growing exponentially despite the obvious barriers and deterrence to faith. How do you explain that? Well, you really can't. They are and continue to be as pure a church as could possibly exist in the world. Why? Because of their suffering. That's just true. And as we close, I'd like to give a practical example of how this could apply to us. Because the letter is not just to an actual church, not just to a time in church history, not just to a type of church that has existed and exists today, but to an individual. You can read this and receive from it as an individual. And so I close by reading what Peter had to say. This was Peter's perspective on suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, we read, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. That's the judgment of the world against God's people. And if it begins with us, What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That would be God's judgment against the world. Two different judgments there. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That is, if the world makes being a Christian difficult, imagine for a second what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner when Christ returns. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So let me ask you a question based on what you learned today. Is it ever God's will that we should suffer? Is it always God's will that we should suffer? No. But is it ever God's will that we should suffer? Yes. Have you ever suffered? Any kind of suffering? Of course you have. See, God is faithful. He'll be faithful in your suffering to deliver you from suffering, and he will be faithful to draw you closer to him through suffering. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, this message is both encouraging and challenging, and if we're honest, we'll admit that we're a bunch of babies the littlest thing happens and we get all upset and we feel like we've been abandoned by you. And for those of us dealing with really truly difficult things, the death of a loved one or a sickness in our bodies or in the lives of those we love, or having been fired from our jobs because of our convictions or our beliefs, or the difficulty of an of a inflationary economy, which is making it harder and harder for us to make ends meet. We're challenging to get everything from baby formula to heating oil. Whatever it is that we're experiencing that could be described as some suffering, it's really probably not suffering as a Christian. It's suffering, but it's not suffering for our faith in you. Sometimes it is, but most of the time it's just us being babies. And I don't say that lightly, because it's hard to lose someone you love. It's hard to deal with a terminal illness. It's it's hard to have someone you love who's sick. I know that firsthand. But when we compare it to the glory that will be revealed, both in the lives of those that have faith and in our own lives, oh, Lord, we're blessed. We're blessed. Help us to persevere. We're blessed. Thank you. Not for the suffering, but for what you do through that suffering. And Lord, should the day come where we in America actually are suffering specifically for our faith in you, may we be brave, bold, and committed to you and embrace that suffering and the opportunity to wear the name of Jesus and suffer all of the consequences for it. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.